Welcome to the King's Church Warrington podcast. Inspirational teaching from our Sunday celebrations. So last week we started a, a talk about our verse for the year. And we got part way through and today sort of finishing that off about being good news people. Paul, we re, just to remind you, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome. The church in Rome was quite a scattered church. We know that as we read Romans 16, when we keep reading about people's households that people met in. And so right across that city, there was like households that met and shared the faith, but there was one church scattered across the city like we do in missional communities and bases and missional households, etc. Paul writes to this church. It was one of the only two churches that he writes to that he didn't plant. He didn't plant the Colossian church. Uh, One of his partners in the gospel did that, one of his team, and he didn't plant the Roman church. We don't really know who did. Some people think it was Peter. There's not a lot of necessarily biblical evidence for that, but we don't know quite who did that. But Paul writes to them and he writes to them saying he wants to come to them. He's wanted to come many times to use them as a springboard to go to Spain with the gospel. That's his intention. And he writes to this church and he doesn't write about any problems in the church. He doesn't write to them about some issues that need solving. He doesn't do that. He doesn't write to them about a theological uh, misdemeanor that they're involved in, a misunderstanding of the, the, the truth. What he does is he sets out what many theologians believe is the gospel that he would preach. And he could condense that into one presentation. He could present it over three weeks like he did in Thessalonica. Or he could spend three years like he did in Ephesus unpacking the truth that he contains in these 16 chapters of the book of Romans. The gospel. The gospel is big. The gospel is not just how I become a Christian. That's part of the gospel. It's central to the gospel. But the gospel is bigger than how I become a Christian. The gospel is massive. It impacts the whole of life. It's a big gospel. And there's power in the gospel. That's where we got up to last week. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. And the word power there is dunamis. It's the same word as in Acts 1.8 where Luke writes... The words of Jesus that say, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will receive dunamis. It's the same word. and It's the root word for might or ability. It's the word we get dynamite from. So you will receive dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes. You, the gospel is dynamite. It is the ability to blast out of the way anything that would separate you from the love of God. Anything. Any stage of life, any circumstance you're facing, the gospel has power to deal with it. It has power to deal with our concerns, our fears, our addictions, our temptations, our anxieties, our eternity and our past. There is power in the gospel. It is not just a leaflet that tells us how to become a Christian. That's important, but the gospel is bigger than that. It hits the whole of life. My question is, is the gospel impacting the whole of your life? Your desires, your relationships, your friendships, your use of alcohol, your sexual life, your television life, your internet life, your work life, your family life. The gospel is so big, it hits all of that. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The verse goes on to say, it brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is, imp- is designed to impact the whole of life, death and eternity. It impacts identity, family, 
community. It speaks for justice and for forgiveness, for the environment and for the poor, for compassion and for grace. It gives life, it brings hope, and it never fails. If your life feels like it's shrinking and you're becoming more restricted and more isolated, it's not the gospel. The gospel causes your life to feel bigger and more connected. So if you're feeling smaller and further away from people, the gospel is the solution. The gospel brings about the change. Jesus says he has saved us from the penalty of sin. The, biblical, the, the theological word for that is justification. Just as if I'd never sinned. So in the past, Jesus died on a cross for your sin and mine. There is nothing you have done and nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of God. Why? Because Jesus has justified you. And when you stand before God as a follower of his and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? The only answer that will get you in, write this down, is I trusted in Jesus. That's it. It's not, and I did some good works, or I gave money to the poor. They're the fruit of the gospel, but they're not the thing that will save you. The only thing that will get you into heaven is to rely fully on the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news. So the gospel impacts our past. It's justified us. The gospel has dealt with the penalty of sin. But the gospel deals with the power of sin. The theological word for that is sanctification. It's the transformation of our lives to become more Christ-like. You see, some people say, Jesus loves me so much, he accepts me as I am. Absolutely true. There's a follow-on to that sentence. Jesus loves me so much that he won't leave me as I am. The gospel changes lives. You see, the gospel doesn't just say, well, just come to Jesus and he'll accept you and he'll cover all of your sin. Yes, of course he will, but then he gives you power to change. Titus says, the grace of God has appeared that enables us to say no to sin. There's power in the gospel for transformation of our lives. In the same way that it saved us, it changes us. We don't move from grace to self-effort and law. We move from grace to grace. There's a grace that moves in our life through the gospel that changes us from the inside out into the image of Christ. When you read in the Bible of how God said he wanted the tabernacle set up in the Old Testament, he sets out the instructions for how that should happen. I don't know about you, but I've seen houses being built. And they tend to start with the foundation and then they put a structure around the outside. And then they put the walls and the, the, the wiring in and the plumbing. Then they put the walls in and then they deal with the furniture. The tabernacle does it the opposite way around. It starts with the furniture. It does not start with the outer wall and the perimeter and the foundation. It starts with, here's how you make the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God. We always start with the presence of God. We always start with a focus centrally on the presence of God. And from that, everything else emanates out. The gospel starts to impact your spirit. It then impacts your soul, your will, your intellect, your emotions. And then it impacts your body, what you do. 
And if it's not gone beyond your spirit to your soul and then to your actions, the gospel has been reduced in your experience. You're living with a small gospel. But we have a big gospel. So the gospel deals with my past, helps me in my present, and secures my future. The theological word is glorification. There will be a time when we will not just be saved from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but we'll be saved from the presence of sin. There will be no more sin, no more suffering, no more weeping, no more pain. For the old order of things, John says in Revelation, has passed away. There is hope for the future in the gospel. It deals with my past, my present and my future. This is a big gospel. The gospel tells us that God, what God is like and enables us to know him and to be a part of his family. The gospel tells us that we're people made in the image of God. Therefore, it informs us how we treat each other. Why does God say in the Bible, you shall have no graven images? You shall make no images of me. Because you are the image of God. You are the visual representation of him. You're not God, but when you look at a human being, you see something of the nature of God. God made the image. He doesn't need us to make one. He says, you're made in my image. For in the gospel, Romans 1.17 goes on to say, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is from first to last by faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed. God is righteous. And the gospel reveals that righteousness. In other words, it reveals two things. It reveals the nature of God and it reveals the activity of God. The righteous nature of God and the righteous activity of God. The righteous nature revealed in the gospel is this. God is full of love. How do we know that? Because the gospel tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's the gospel. God is holy. How do we know that? Because God hates sin. How do we know God hates sin? Because he took It took Jesus to the cross. When we play with sin, when we're fascinated with sin, when we excuse our sin, what we're saying is, the thing that took Jesus to the cross I find attractive. And God finds it repellent. And so the work of the Spirit and the gospel in our life is to line up our desires with his desires so we increasingly step away from those things that are damaging to us and painful to God. The righteousness of God is revealed. Why should we live a holy life? To earn God's favour? No, because of God's love. You see, my actions towards Jackie... And not because I made a commitment at our wedding day to say I would love her. My actions towards Jackie are because I do love her. And so it's not the law that says I have a document that tells me I said I would love her. It's because I love her. And I don't always get it right. In fact, a lot of the time I get it wrong. But my desire is to get it right in the way I treat her. If we say we love God... And then our actions don't line up with that. You've got to go back to ask the question, do I love God? And if I don't love God, here's the good news. The gospel says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by 
the Holy Spirit. So even if I feel like my love for God is waning, the power of the gospel is this. I can go to God and say, God, I feel like my love for you is waning. Would you help to light the fire again? And he'll say, yes, because this is a gospel of grace, not of law. The gospel also shows how righteousness happens. God wants to declare you right with himself. And there are two aspects of righteousness that we read about in the book of Romans. There's positional righteousness and there's practical righteousness. Positional righteousness is this. God says you're not guilty. God says you're forgiven. Once you've received his son as your saviour and lord, you are completely forgiven. You are justified, just as if you'd never sinned. Positionally, you are secure. That's justification. Practical righteousness is this. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Practical righteousness is, I've started from this position of being right with God, and now my actions are going to start to line up with the reality of who I now am. I'm going to behave... I'm going to think, I'm going to choose, I'm going to respond in line with who I've become. Do you see that? Remember we talked about the Ark of the Covenant? The the change starts at the center and works out. God says, you're not working towards being right with me. You're working from the secure position, you are right with me, and now you can start to live differently because the power of the gospel is now at work within you. The dynamites are blow out of the way. Everything that would hinder that is now available to you and to me. This is good news. How do we do this? By faith. There's no other way. It's by faith. I love how Tim Chester helps us to understand this when he talks about the nature of God. Jesus says in John 6, 29, the work of God is this. This is what God asks you to do. This is the work that God's asking you to do. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. That's it. That's it. The question is, do I believe the gospel? So, Tim Chester very helpfully gives us the four G's, which I find really helpful. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. So, if I feel like I need to be in control, if I need to manage everything, if I need to micromanage, if I obsess, if I'm fearful, if I've got to be in control of everything, I'm not really believing that God is great. I'm believing that I have to have it all, and therefore I'm not believing and relying on Jesus God is glorious, so I don't need to fear others. Whose opinion do you live for? See, if I'm constantly living because of certain people who try to intimidate me or push me out or try to say nasty things about me or people who I feel are really powerful and trying to please, if I'm living constantly saying they're glorious, I've got to adjust my actions and behaviours to be acceptable to them. I don't believe that God is glorious. But if I'm saying my whole life needs to be a fragrance offering of worship to Jesus, first and foremost, and I'm not trying to be offensive to people, I'm trying to be salt and light to them. But first and foremost, I'm trying to please him. First and foremost, I'm living for his smile and his approval. Because I believe he is more glorious than ever. Whose opinion do you live for? 
your colleagues, your family, your neighbours, your saviours. Sometimes they line up and sometimes they don't. When they don't, whose do you choose? Your behaviour betrays your beliefs. God is good, so I don't need to look elsewhere for satisfaction. If I'm constantly having to have the next new thing, if I'm constantly trying to have the next experience, if I need just a few more drinks to be happy, or just another meal, or just another relationship, or just another sexual encounter to be happy, because that will satisfy me, I don't really believe that God is good. Now, God gives us good things, but he sets boundaries in which they're to operate. So he gives us food to enjoy, he gives us drink to enjoy, he gives us sex to enjoy within the confines of a loving marriage relationship. He gives us those things and says, enjoy. But there's boundaries. So he says, enjoy a drink, don't get drunk. And you know, it's not how near to being drunk I can get to, to the, that's the answer. It's how far away from it can I keep Where's my satisfaction? If I believe in the goodness of God, I'll trust him for it. If I don't, if I don't believe that God is good, if I don't believe that God is, God's ways are good, then what I will do is I will make choices to make sure that I feel satisfied. So if I don't believe that when God says, do this, don't do that, and it's out of his goodness, not out of vindictivity, then, then vindictiveness, being vindictive, That's a better sentence, isn't it? Being vindictive, that's how you say that. If I don't believe that it's out of his goodness, then I will say, well, God is not reliable and he's trying to hold out on me. He's not trying to give me the best life I could possibly have. So I'm going to take it into my own hands and I'm going to do what I want to do so that I get the best out of this life because obeying God won't get me the best. If that's how subconsciously we're responding, what I'm saying is I don't believe God is good. Whereas Jesus says, this is the work of God, to believe in the one he sent. God is gracious, so I don't need to prove myself to him, myself, or others. The pressure is off. You can spend your whole life trying to please important people, and God's already pleased with you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more, and there's nothing you could do that will make him love you less. That doesn't mean we're free to do as we please. That means we're free to obey. Because we're loved. This is the gospel. Do you see how big this is? Do you see how this has implications for the whole of how we live our lives? It's good news. Romans 4.18 says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed and so became. What you believe is what you become. What you believe is what you become. If you believe that God is generous, you'll become more generous. If you believe that God is good, his goodness will impact your life. If you believe that God is manipulative, you'll become more manipulative. If you believe that God doesn't care about you, you'll become more self-centered and look after number one. What you believe impacts what you become. He believed and so he became. So what we believe about God impacts how we behave. Therefore, if we believe what God says is true and best for us, it will impact what we do, even when our desire is not necessarily lined up with that yet. 
Let me explain. When God asks us to be reconciled to someone and we don't want to be reconciled to them, I know that's never happened to you. I know, I know it's never happened to you. Whenever God says to you, be reconciled to someone, you run to, you say, look, you're more important than the issue. Let's put this right. Well, I completely forgive you. You may have misunderstood me. And even if I was wrong, and even if you were wrong, I'm really, I know you do that. But here's the thing. Sometimes I struggle. Sometimes God asks me to be reconciled and I need to go on a journey in my heart and then my actions follow. So bear with me. I know this is alien to your experience, but it, it's just me. This is like therapy. I've got to believe when that journey happens that God has the best for me. And when he tells me to do something that I don't want to do, but I know is good... I will do it, not because it's how I feel, it's because what I believe. So I'm not starting from my soul, I'm starting from my spirit. I'm not starting from my feelings, I'm starting from the word of God. I'm not starting from what's easiest, I'm starting from what does Jesus say. That's the gospel, because the work of God is to believe the one he sent, his son. So when he says, go and put it right, I know... I just need to, I need to walk towards that. If you ever struggle in a relationship with someone, and I know you don't, I know that's never your experience ever, is it? You're always, you always get on with everybody very well and easily, don't you? I've found this. If I'm struggling to get on with someone, I pray for them every day. I pray for them by name. Every day. And not like, Lord, let a piano fall on them. Not that kind of prayer. (laughs) I pray, like, Lord, bless them. Lord, do good to them. Father, bless their family. Father, just encourage them. Father, provide for them. Do you know why? Because it's difficult to hold a grudge against someone you're praying God's blessing over. Your heart changes. This is the gospel. This is believing God rather than my circumstances, my hurt, my pain, my reservations in trusting God in this circumstance. It's believing the gospel. It's the good news. We move from unbelief to faith in every area of life. That's discipleship. Our struggles reveal our heart. Do you know which is your favorite sin? The one that you make the most excuses for. <laughs> well, you know, there's a reason. There's, if you knew what I'd been through, I can handle that much drink. It's a healthy relationship, really. The one that you justify the most is your favourite. And God puts his finger on that and says, do you know what? I'm really interested in you trusting me in that area rather than that, in your opinion. Our struggles reveal our heart, which presents a great opportunity to us because it helps us to see the thing behind the thing. Because often it's not the presenting thing that's the issue, it's the thing behind it. So I know, I I struggle with worry. I'm, I'm a worrier. I struggle with worry. And so... I will make sure everything's been 
thought through or I try to make sure everything's thought through and I get people's opinions and sometimes I struggle to sleep because I'm thinking things through. And do you know what that shows me? I'm struggling to believe that God's great. Because I think I've got to have it all under control. I think I've got to have it all sorted out. I need to have the answers and have it all boxed off. And do you know what? There's a place for responsibility and there's a place for taking responsibility seriously. But there's a place for repentance that says, Jesus, I am so sorry that I'm doing the most acceptable Christian sin of all. I worry. When Jesus says, don't worry, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. And I need people around me who will challenge me to believe the truth. And I have people around me who challenge me to believe the truth. Now, it's not easy to stand up in front of a bunch of people and say that. That's what I'm struggling with. And so I thought what we do is pass the microphone around and you can all tell us what you're struggling with. (laughs) Just kidding. Just wanted you to feel involved and feel my pain. I share that with you, not with any sense of, I don't know. I share that with you simply to say, I am learning to believe the gospel. And it impacts every aspect of my life. And I'm continual, I am a continual learner. I am a lifelong learner. I've had people say, Kings isn't the same as when I joined I joined six years ago and Kings is a very different place. Your family's not the same as it was six years ago. Your workplace isn't the same as it was six years ago. Any healthy thing changes. Any healthy thing grows. Any healthy thing develops. Of course it does. And we need to grow into those changes. And part of me as a leader, I'm, I'm learning and growing as a leader. I'm not the leader I was Thank God, but thank God I'm not in the future, I'm going to be a better leader than this, by his grace. And the same is true of you. You're not what you were, but thank God he's not finished yet. Just think of what you're going to become. This is a far longer message than I anticipated. Right, let me try and squeeze the I'm, I'm nearly a third of the way through this talk <laughs> okay so goodness knows our actions reveal what's going on in our heart Hebrews 4.12 says that talks about what our heart what the word of God does it impacts the thoughts and desires of our heart So what does that tell us? There's something deep inside of us that thinks and desires. We are processors and worshippers at heart. We think things through and we have a desire. And the word of God, the gospel, is to impact how we think and what we worship. We're thinkers and we're worshippers. So what we think about God is impacted by the gospel. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, even though there was lots of permission and a few parameters, because they didn't believe him. Their thoughts impacted their worship. And so for me and for you, we get to choose, we get to process, and believing the gospel releases us in worship. If you're struggling to worship, the thing behind the thing is, are you believing the gospel? 
You see, when I sing words about the death of Jesus, when I sing words about the resurrection of Jesus, I can't help but worship. I just can't help but worship. To think that the Son of God would die and rise again for you and me is life transforming. Our beliefs inform our thinking that lead to our actions. The gospel can save us. The truth of the scripture, the power of the spirit, the encouragement of the saints changes us. And it's the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. When Jesus died on the cross, at the very end, he shouts out, paid in full. It's an interesting thing to shout, isn't it, just as you're dying. The bill is paid in full. What he was saying is the penalty for all of our unbelief, all of our sin, all of our failures is completely paid. Not just so that we can become a Christian, but so that we can become all that God asks us to be. The price for that is paid too. So if we don't believe that, it's as if when Jesus shouts paid in full, we shout out, well, I would say you've paid 95%, but I'm going to pay the remaining 5% by worrying Or I'm going to pay the remaining 5% by being angry. Or I'm going to pay the remaining 5% by looking after myself. Because you've not paid for everything. Paid in full means paid in full. The power of the gospel can impact every strata of your life. It's going to have to move very quickly. God invites us to a feast. He doesn't invite you to a dreary life. He doesn't invite you just to difficulty, though there will be difficulties. He says that. But he invites you to satisfaction, fulfillment, identity, knowing who God really is. Whatever sin offers, God has a better offer. So whatever temptation is offering to you, God has a better offer. Whatever you think that thing or that person or that addiction or that whatever it is offers and you believe that will fulfill me if it's not in line with what God is I want to tell you the gospel is good news God offers something better it's as if sin is inviting you to a feast and God is inviting you to a feast and they're both at the same time you're double booked and you get to choose which feast you go to But here's what God says. Come to me, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, you have no money. Come buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fur. Isaiah 55, 1-4. Son promises but doesn't deliver. God promises and delivers. Who do you believe? Do you believe the gospel? It's the power of God for those who believe but we've got to believe put our full trust in it I'm going to skim through this last couple of sections as quickly as I can I've got less than five minutes I'm not ashamed of the gospel that's what Paul starts this phrase with I am not ashamed of the gospel how do you feel about the gospel You see, sharing the gospel is not just telling people who don't know Jesus about Jesus. That's part of the gospel. But the gospel is also telling people who do know Jesus the good news that sets them free to become more like Jesus. The gospel is for everything and everyone, Christians and non-Christians. Don't make it so small that the gospel is just about witnessing. It is about witnessing, but it's about transformation of life. The gospel impacts everything. 
The gospel helps to shape your mindset. Or our culture does, one or the other. Gospel determines our choices, where we find satisfaction, security, comfort, fulfillment, approval. The gospel is such good news that it helps us to overcome the fear of telling someone you're a follower of Jesus. I loved those testimonies earlier from, from, from Mike and from Laura and from Steve. Just the, the confidence in the gospel to share something about Jesus. The Apostle Paul was from a Hebrew background. He'd been in prison for his faith. He'd been beaten up for what he believed. He'd spent time on occasions working as a tent maker as well as a preacher. He'd had severe eyesight problems. He suffered all kinds of difficulty and disappointments. And yet right into the church in the most influential city in the world, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to those of you who are in Rome. These are Christians as well as non-Christians. He doesn't let his past and his hurts and his failures and his limitations define him. He lets the gospel. I get invited into meetings on occasions, and I've said this before. I feel like I walk into the room and, you know, it's like Stephen Hawking's Pascal and, I don't know, some other clever bloke is there. And I feel like Charlie Brown. It's like, what? how did I end up here? But my confidence isn't in me. It's in the gospel. And you might find yourself in situations in work or in your family or on your street. And you think, this is bigger than me. But it's not bigger than the gospel. So Paul can say, in all of my brokenness, in all of my failure as a prisoner, with all the difficulty I've been through, still, I'm eager to get to the most influential place in the world. Why? Because I've got the gospel. Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free from being ashamed. He has strong words to say when we are ashamed. He says in Mark 6, 38, If anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. You see, we can't pick and choose bits of the gospel. We can't say, I love the bits that say this, but I'm not too keen on the bits that say that. That is in the gospel. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. Because if we're ashamed of him, it's, has the gospel really changed my life? If I believe this, really believe this, it impacts everything. If I don't, then it becomes a hobby, a pastime, a social club. How do we become a final point? I wanted to spend longer on this, but I'm just going to have to say it quickly. How do we become gospel fluent? I mean by that, not just how do I give my testimony in three minutes, though that's really important to know how to do. But how do we help each other to believe the gospel when I'm dealing with a difficulty, when I'm dealing with a relationship problem, when I'm dealing with an addiction, when I'm dealing with fear, when I'm dealing with poverty, when I'm dealing with need? How do I, how do I gospel someone? I would say that we need to help each other with our beliefs. We need to come back to who is God, what does he do, who am I, how do I live? And so four very simple questions. I was going to unpack these. I'm not going to, we'll have to do it another time. But four simple questions, how do we become gospel fluent? If I'm dealing, let's say, let's set the example of worry, for example. If I'm dealing with worry, how do I become gospel fluent and how do I help someone else to be gospel fluent? First of all, I think, what is God like? Well, God is massive, God is powerful, God is loving, God is kind, God is generous. So I think about all the things linked to, and it's good to do it with someone else, write them down, make a list. All the things about God that speak into that. Not what he does, who he is. Because we're starting with identity, not action. Then I move to, what does God do? 
Well, God bears my burdens. God lifts my concerns. God is in control. God is my provider. God is faithful. God has me in the palm of his hand and no one can snatch me out of it. I begin to remember and call to mind with others, what does God do? I'm not trying to change anything about myself yet. I'm believing the gospel. I'm reminding myself about the gospel, the nature of God and the activity of God. Because the gospel is primarily the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's him, not me. And then I begin to think, so in light of what does God do? He takes action to bear my burden. He died on a cross and rose again so that I could be free. So what's now true of me? Well, I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. I'm loved by the Father. You're loved by the Father. God has all of my days written in his book before one of them came to be. God knows all that's coming for you and he's got it. He's got it. God has a place for me in heaven and he's preparing it right now. I have an eternity. This is true of me. This is true of you. This is the antidote to uh, to worry, to fear, to addiction. And then the final question I would ask and get you to do it with other people is how do I now get to live? This isn't a new set of rules and regulations and you've got to do this. But in light of who God is, in light of what God does, in light of who I now am, I am set free to live the gospel. To live in the light of this amazing, massive, powerful, glorious, good news. And so... I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Let's let this massive, life-transforming gospel change us from the inside out and keep changing us till one day we stand before him. Would you stand with me? We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.